0: On Racing HQ, Monday's experts studying the form of racing's characters.
1: Monday's experts, a
0: It is time to find out a little bit about the story behind the name. G'day, Dave Stanley here on Monday's Experts on your Monday morning on Sky Sports Radio and really looking forward to today's guest. We hear a lot of names on this network uh, talking about horses and racing and this great state of New South Wales, but it's always nice to reflect on, as I said, that story behind the name and just find out a few little bits and pieces Uh, because uh, everyone out there has a fantastic story. Danny Williams, we've seen his name up in headlights with a fantastic galloper of his, Shelby 66. In fact, well before Shelby 66, we saw Danny's name up in lights. He trains out of Goulburn, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with him for the next half an hour here on Sky Sports Radio. Danny, welcome to Monday's Experts.
1: Good morning, Dave. Good morning, listeners.
0: It's, uh, It's great that we can have this discussion with you. It's a big week leading into... Wagga Wagga and also there at Gosford with their standalone and we're no doubt going to see your name pop up in form guides throughout the week in New South Wales but let's talk about your career and life thus far where did you grow up where did you grow up uh, in New South Wales?
1: Dave I was born and bred in Canamble and I think I, I left there when I was 24 and moved to Dubbo and was offered a job here as a private trainer in Goulburn, where I moved when I I think I was 31, so uh,
0: roughly around about there. Okay, so what was it like growing up in Canem? Because I know that you were you were born into racing. Of course, your father was a terrific jockey, uh, and no doubt uh, you know was a was a huge idol and hero of yours. But growing up, what was it like uh, as a young as a young lad in the family with, with racing being around?
1: Well, look, you know, we had a, a history uh, in, in, in in Canamble of a lot of horse people, and uh, a lot of people were into radios and, and such, and my dad, uh, when I sort of realised what I was actually doing was working for Johnny London, and uh, he was his main jockey before Dennis Firth, and a lot of the times, uh, part of the job was to go to the Ray Dayos. I think I remember Dad saying that Johnny made him go to the Ray Dayos. And as a young fellow growing up around that sort of uh, uh, genre, and uh, you know, some very good horse people back in those days, and racing was totally different to what it is now.
0: Do, do you have a, a first memory of being around horses? Was there a particular moment?
1: Uh, I guess falling off uh, a horseboard peanuts was a little Shetland pony that Dad bought to my sister and I, as as, as far as I can remember. Before uh, I was walking, uh, Dad had me riding his pony, and uh, it was it was super intelligent. It used to uh, be very quiet when Dad was there, but as soon as we trot around the corner, it would throw us and and trot back and hide behind the house. So. It you knew what it was doing, but I guess that was my first uh, handle on a horse.
0: What about uh, growing up in Canemble? What was that like? And Obviously, you went to school in Canemble.
1: Yeah, I went to school. Uh, I was sort of um, quite athletic myself and very, very skinny. I, I wasn't always into horses. I was more into chasing girls and riding motorcycles. So <laughs> it really wasn't uh, something that, um, well, albeit i perhaps always known that I was going to be in in horse racing. It wasn't something that I was chasing in my uh, um, early teens, Um, albeit I I did sort of start um, pretty early in the stable environment. And uh, I think I was working in the stables around about 12 or 13 years of age.
0: So uh, I always ask my guests this: If it wasn't racing, was there something else that uh, Danny Williams could have been?
1: Uh, I was very good at um, at drawing. Um, I actually have a not so much a a painting, but a sketch of mine hanging up in the uh, principal's office at uh, at at the Golden High, uh, sorry, Cannibal High School. So. Back then, wow. when I was going to school, my my teacher wanted me to be an architect. So um, I guess if it wasn't into racing, that was perhaps something that I would have um, looked
0: at doing. That's fascinating. And where where did that come from? Is that just something that you is is there anything in the family that there's been sort of you know that artistic flavour, or is it just something that you at, through school enjoyed doing? Oh,
1: guys, I. I I like sketching horses, and and, uh, at school, uh, one of the projects was sketching uh, old buildings, particularly uh, things like the school and and, and the local post office, and and I realised I had a bit of a, uh, you know, a good touch in in, in, uh, what I was doing there, and, and, uh, yeah, my my principal and and, uh, main Teacher at that time uh, were pushing me to to sort of be a bit venture into that sort of aspect of of, um, of a career early on, but uh, at that stage I was not turning up for school because I was working at the races days.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So so that's so I was going to ask about that. So the races became the priority because it was you know and, and we find that even today you know because it was it was uh, the, the life living or for your family wasn't it
1: look, exactly. It was just all racing, and and, I remember I I, I had my first ride as an amateur rider at 14 years of age, and um, I was in high school at the time, and and, uh, I was riding quite often, so I was always uh, never at school uh, when I should have been, and uh, I used to work in the morning, so when I was 12 or 13, I was still going to work, and... uh, and uh, I was always late at school. Like, I remember my, my sister and I used to turn up around about 9, 9.30, 10 o'clock to school. But the, the headmaster had an understanding of what we were doing in the morning. We, we were dodging school. We were working early in the morning. And, and uh, it, it, it was good because he, he knew uh, that you know, we weren't off doing the wrong thing. And we actually were training a horse for him at the time.
0: <laughs> that always helps. That always helps. I'm sure. Hopefully, tipping him into a winner. We're chatting with Danny Williams this morning on Monday's experts. So, Danny, you're obviously your father uh, was a you know a successful jockey. When was the moment that you you mentioned you were quite athletic? Um, when was the moment you decided right? I'm going to you know get into uh, to riding. And I, it wasn't until late you became prof- you know professional, was it?
1: No, Dave. Look, I I went professional when I was 29. But uh, initially, uh, I, I was scared of horses to be honest, because when um, when I was young, as I said, Dad used to train me on these horses, and it sort of turned me off a little. And we used to go to the rodeos, and they'd put me on the steers and things like that. So it wasn't sort of all all uh, glamour, and uh, it sort of pushed me away from the industry somewhat. And uh, um, I. Uh, I sort of uh, had a bit of a competitive nature in me with my sister and she used to say, Oh, I'm a better rider than you. And one day I I just said to dad and, and and Vicky that uh, I was going down to the stables to start riding and they laughed at me.
0: Did that give you a bit of uh, fire in the belly, a bit of determination?
1: Yeah. Well, look, I've always been a very uh, competitive uh, person, whether it be in sport or, or racing. And, uh, I uh, if someone gives me a challenge, I'm always at hand to uh, to, to take them on. So, my sister, uh, I think, um, wasn't confident that I, I'd, I'd do that. Um, I can remember sitting on a horse with some collar ropes on it at one stage there, and all I wanted to do was hop off it. But lo and behold, I turned up the next day and, and, and started riding work, and, and uh, I think I had a bust the first day I started riding.
0: What was the fear you had of the horse?
1: Um, I guess uh, just being pushed too early and, mm. uh, and and resenting it a bit that that I just got a little bit frightened to begin with. Um, I've always been a very game person, but look, racehorses are very daunting, and uh, and uh, albeit I was. Quite natural at picking it up. It, it did take me longer than I expected um, because Dad was always such a great horse person. Um, he just expected me to sort of take it up very quickly.
0: Did you feel pressure because he was such a good horse, you know, horseman, horse person that you had to have that same ability straight away? Oh, I,
1: guess, I guess so, Dave. When I. Uh, you know, I, I, I have it now where I have a knack of being able to ride a horse and a horse just relaxes. My dad had that very early on. I, I didn't always have that ability and it used to frustrate me that he could handle horses so well and I couldn't, but uh, I, I picked it up very quickly and I think in six months I was riding in races, so it didn't take me long uh, from the time that I got going to the time that from riding to to race riding, I, I picked that up very quickly. But definitely, the confidence was was something that took a while. Uh, I think my first gallop, I did three laps. I wasn't supposed to. I was only supposed to do one lap. But um, you know, those are the learning curves you have.
0: We're chatting with Danny Williams this morning on Monday's Experts. Danny, I did a bit of reading about you over the weekend. You, you mentioned that you first time you're on the horse, you're only meant to do one lap, and you did three laps. But you rode. Something near 50, nearly 50 winners in your first three months of riding at tab meetings yeah, when you switched over to be a professional in 29, when you were 29.
1: Yeah, Dave. I, my, my first five rides were all winners. I, I rode, um, I think I started in February uh, 95, I think it was. And I think I had uh, 48 winners in uh, three months and ran 46th in, in the New South Wales Premiership. Uh, When I first started, my first five rides were all winners and my last eight rides were all winners. So um, I picked it up very quickly. I was always uh, a good amateur rider and uh, it didn't take much to turn over. It was just a matter of losing weight. I used to walk around about 62 kilograms and back then the minimum was, I think the minimum was 53 and the, the set weight was 56 and a half, unlike the 61 and a half they're riding now.
0: Mm. You had uh you did have a bad injury though? I've had plenty of bad injuries, Dave. Yeah. I
1: i I've, I'm a bit like the Bionic man. I'm I'm pretty much rebuilt. I, I had a bad injury when I was here in Goulburn. Uh I rode a horse called Kofi Luak uh, for the first time and he bucked and and um threw me in the air and I landed on my uh, my, my groin and, and I heard a pop and I was concerned that it w- might have been one of my testicles coming at the time <laughs> and uh, it was my pelvis being sheared apart and uh, the horse continued to buck and um, it basically tore my right leg away from the back of my sacrum and um, I ended up in hospital. I had two operations and 56 days laying down on my back Um so it was quite a bit of uh, a bit of time, sort of out injured at that
0: point of time. That wasn't your first injury, obviously, though, Danny. I mean, uh, often um, when we've had, I've had discussions with participants that have been involved in either race falls or incidents. The mental process to to get back to what you're doing. I mean, you're laying there, as you said, for 56 days. Did you think at the time, this isn't for me?
1: No, never, Dave. I, I've had a lot of injuries. I've been kicked in the face. I've had 26 mattress stitches in the in the side of the face. I've had uh, four different types of of, of um, uh, sutures in my eyes, around my eyes where I've been kicked. Uh, I was kicked in the mouth and dislocated my jaw and I'm having six stitches to put the side of my lip together. Um, I could really write a book about the injuries. I've I've uh, torn my rotator cuff off, landing off a horse, and like my, my right arm ended up behind me, and I've uh, been kicked that many times. And stitches my knees, my shins. Um, you know, I've, I've had quite a bit of uh, wear and tear, including broken noses. Quite a few broken noses.
0: How do you go then, now, Danny, being around these horses? Because as you mentioned, you're the bit of the bionic man. You've you've had injuries. They've fixed up but surely those things can only be fixed up so many times does it does it can is it a worry for you sometimes are you or you just just charge on this is what you were born to do and away you go
1: i think the racing people in general particularly horse um trainers and and jockeys and track work riders they're pretty tough people and i've been brought up that if i wasn't able to do it myself i couldn't continue to do it and 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 even when i broke my pelvis a month later out of hospital i i was riding again and i've always had that mindset that uh i'm a bit invincible at times and and i bounce back pretty good uh out of most injuries but never have i sort of thought that i'd give it away
0: we're chatting with Danny Williams this morning. Danny, let's talk about some of these horses you've had. I mean, obviously, Shelby 66, the current listener would know, but going back through some of your great uh, horses, Wasted Emotions was a cracker for you. Um, Core Connection, who won that Canberra Cup. I mean, uh, some of these horses that you've had, and obviously I remember when you took Cape um, Breton up to win, what, a Queensland Cup at Group 3. Uh, when you were, were training for, for Alan, of course, and we, we've sort of... Um, jumped away from that that's a that's a big um a big part of your story because you were there what at, at dubbo and 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 alan the opportunity to train for him for that 15 years must have been huge and i speak of course of owner alan cardi the late alan cardi
1: yeah dave look uh it was a great opportunity we had a lot of fun with alan we we're a very big punting stable so perhaps more renowned for our punting than we were for our accolades but uh um i was buying horses through uh, through through some people. A good friend of mine, Bill Kelly from Dubbo, and I were racing horses out in the country and aiming those horses at, at the cup meetings. And, and that's how we came about uh, uh, coming here to Goulburn with Alan Carty. We bought a few off Alan. We, we we improved them successfully. And and Alan said, well, you might come and train for me. In my first 12 months, I think I had 89 starters for 22 winners, 22 seconds and 23 thirds. Wow. Um, and the first horse we ever had, we Alan had 2,000 each way at 25 to 1. So we started with a bang.
0: Jeez. The first,
1: Just over the first 12 months, we had uh, normal practice, ran third in the Group 1 Newmarket behind uh, Iska and Dantelar. And that particular horse won a Sandown Stakes, an Ajax Stakes. Uh, he went to Queensland. I think he ran seventh in the Scrabbroke. Um, look, he, he, he was a a really good horse and a horse that really kicked me off, and we've had some very nice horses since. We, we, one of the betting plunges that we had was was Keblemo on on Melbourne Cup day. We we got twenty five to one about him, declared for him, and and uh, I believe one of the syndicate members won over a million dollars on him, and and uh, he he ran fourth in the Queen Elizabeth and all age states, and ran in the Doncaster and uh we had horses like Fox Lake, which we backed I think it was eighty to one in the nine to four on Oaks Day at Randwick, Um and and waste emotions in the town plate, we talk about the Wagga meeting coming up, uh Alan had twenty thousand at four to one with Hugh Bowman on. Uh so you know our 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 betting um accolades were quite high. We I remember that particular meeting at Wagga, we had uh, seven starters for five winners second in the cup and a third in the guineas and won the town plate so um yeah we 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 certainly went home with a quid that uh, weekend
0: that's extraordinary do do you remember the biggest plunge off the top of your head i mean it's always great a lot of punters out there listening um if there's nothing better than a good punting story do you remember the biggest plunge ever was it a was it a a a tab meeting somewhere in 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 new south wales country new south wales or
1: yeah, as I just mentioned, it was uh, Fox Lake on uh, Oaks Day at Ramwick. That, was a that would have been the meeting. one. 80 to one in the nine to four. And I, I, I think that uh, even my workers uh, won a, quite a bit of money that day. I, I remember one uh, one of my work, uh, one of my staff won a car um, on that day. And uh, I think we all went home with a quid in our pockets at... He was a horse that we took to Canberra. I declared for him. He, he, he ran second, pulled up shinsaw, and we put him out for spell. He won here at Dolben. And, and uh, it's funny enough, uh, he actually uh, uh, worked here um, prior to winning at Ramwick and, and jumped out of the back of the truck on the way home. And uh, uh, he got beat at his next start, and we knew how good he was, and he was actually in emergency that morning at Randwick and I think he was number 20 and Drew Barrier 20 and the horse couldn't get 1200 hundred metres and that particular race was over 1400 so we got to run that morning because it rained and, and uh, we didn't have a jockey until that morning and we, we gained the services of an apprentice called Jason Bembo at the time and uh, rang Jason at the airport and said look meet us at the track, I've got a ride for you, make sure you're there and uh, lo and behold we were that confident with the horse win that uh, just everything fell into line.
0: That's fantastic. What a story. Um, and great too that, uh, you know, your staff who, who could make a quit out of it as well. I think that, that, that's that's the great things when you hear those sort of stories. And and how have you always, has it been something, you know, at the time, because you get some trainers out there that don't, they don't like talking about the, the punting side of things. They don't want to get in, involved with it. Um, they get a bit nervous about it, and that's understandable because a lot of pressure when there's money involved. But you obviously relish that opportunity with Alan.
1: Well, Dave, we we grew up in the country in those days during the seventies and eighties. You, you you survived having a punt. You didn't survive training racehorses. And I think that was the the difference between now and then. Is that uh, we 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 grew up. Uh, working towards having a, a bet on a horse and we might have educated a horse and got it to the races. In those days, you know, roads and and, and, and feeds, I guess, in those days are different to what they are now. But um, uh, I, I guess it's second nature to me that uh, you, could, you could set horses up and have a punt. So it was something that never really fazed me very much. Mm. Uh, I remember a, a, a client of ours called Tom Gadsby who was at the time perhaps the biggest, Sheep dealer in Australia had two horses for us, and I think I was only 16 at the time. I remember advice that Tom ever um, once said to me that, uh, "Son," he, he said, uh, "I don't want to know the the the, the, the crap behind the, the excuses. I just want to know whether they can win or not." And uh, it, it, it's something that's stuck with me all of my life. And his minimum bet used to be ten thousand dollars, and uh, back then even on the local bookmakers at places like Canamble and Gilgandra, you, you, you know, the bookmakers were fearless back then and you could have 10,000 on a local horse. Mm-hmm. Nowadays you're, you're lucky to have a hundred dollars on. But, um, back then, uh, there was so much money in the betting rings. It was, uh, it was so strong. And, uh, I remember, uh, Brian Fletcher was a pencil boy back then. And, uh, worked for a guy called Shane Hoare, and I can remember us having, I think it was 5,000 on a horse, and Shane said, do you want it again? That's how strong the meetings were back then. Sensational. um, So we used to uh, sort of thrive on that sort of pressure, and and it held on to me um, right through to the days when I was training for Alan Cardi.
0: You then uh, obviously decide to go out uh, on your own um, and uh, just tell us a little bit about the setup you've got there because you've got Goulburn, obviously, which you're located on course, but you're really big on using Maruya as well because that whole beach and salt water therapy, you've spoken about it with me. Yeah, when we've done interviews, and we are chatting with Danny Williams this morning on Monday's experts—a fascinating chat, by the way, Danny. Thanks so much for coming on. But why? Are you, what? What made you sort of go down that path of Maruya? What was there a, an experience you had elsewhere um, that you thought, "Wow, I'm, I think this is going to work wonders for some horses that I have."
1: Well, Dave, first when I left, Linton Alan and I uh, went separate ways amicably, and and uh, I ended up. Um, going to work for Tony McEvoy and running his stables in Sydney for six months and it sort of wasn't for me so I came home when Guy Water passed away, uh, Guy's stables basically come available and uh, I took over the lease Johnny Bateman was training at the time I started off uh, with one horse and and uh, it just grew bigger and uh, at the time the club were looking at releasing so I took over the stables and we did that for about four years, and, and um, we looked at branching out. We ran 11th in the in the Sydney premiership four years ago, four, four going on five years ago now, and uh, we thought we'd expand and, and open up a stable at Maria. I think the benefits of, of the Maria stable were going to the beach and, and, and walking horses in the river, and uh, it, it's such a great facility there, the surfaces... Very sandy, so it, it suits those horses. that you can, um, you, you know, that can get off their backs a little and do something different. But um, here in Goulburn, uh, it's a great facility. Here, the club are very supportive. We're only an hour and a half from Warwick Farm, so you know it's ideally situated. You've, you've got dual highway all the way to Melbourne, basically, and all the way to Sydney. So. You know, as, as 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 far as training, Goulburn's one of the, the the prime locations, and I I think to see it more in Victoria that there's very good trainers that train in the country. Here in New South Wales, we're a little bit uh, behind the times, in my opinion, because Guy had that foresight that you know he wanted to move all of his team to Goulburn, and and given the facilities here, you can see why.
0: Mm, it's uh. You are one hundred percent right. Uh, I think that 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 highway um, chat is is really big because I mean the, the road to Goulburn now uh, is definitely not like the road coming north uh, coming down. Um, you've got a much, in my opinion, easier drive to to come through. Uh, Danny, let's talk about recent times. Uh, we speak about uh, you know some of the history and and some of the great horses you've had um he's hard not to talk about and you've got some wonderful horses in your stable and you've got the opportunity now as a country trainer to race for a lot of prize money and and race for you know cosscos and and also country championships which have been and we've spoken about it before have been extraordinary but what about this horse shelby 66 do you remember the day he turned up at your stable
1: oh dave we bought him at uh, the classic sale i i Went out on a limb and spent a lot more money than I, I uh, perceived I was going to, and we uh, we 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 paid 150,000 for him, and and um he uh, he was a horse that we were confident we could syndicate, but as it turned out, we ended up with uh, 45% of him ourselves. So he's a horse that. I really liked when I bought him as a yearling. He was a fantastic sort, a great moving horse, and it was very well balanced. So I always had confidence in him running well, but it wasn't until the last, say, 10 weeks that, that, you know, he's just jumped out of the ground, this horse. He's just gone to another level. And I think going back and seeing Alan before he passed away and talking about using the facilities out at Linton, which are, are, are some of the best facilities you'll see in any country area in Australia. Um, he's just absolutely thrived since we've been going out to Linton and using the swimming pool.
0: It is extraordinary when you go back through his form. Um, I actually went back the other day and had a look at his first ever run at Wagga back in, what, 2020, uh, where he may return later this week. So you, you, you just think it's, it's the pool. It's just that pool environment... Um, because he's obviously got a good set of lungs on him too,
1: Dave. He's had a bit of a, a an issue that we didn't sort of put our finger on for some time. He went two or three preparations and kept pulling up sore every time we started working him fast. So we were a little bit um, in the dark of what was going on there. We thought it may have been a maturity thing, and we had uh, the horse sent to Sydney where he had a scintigraphy done at Agnes Banks. And it came back that he had a um, uh, a, a problem called uh, osteocondyle disease, which is a, a degenerative sort of um, concussion-related disease in, in the joints. And he had that in his front joints and his hocks as well. And um, the vets said that, uh, give the horse a bit of time, and and whatever he does in the first couple of preparations, that's going to be as good as you're going to get out of him. So... You know, perhaps he's always been a horse that we've not been able to get to the to the the best of his ability due to those problems because he's such a gross horse. You can't really ever get him fit enough. And uh, even today, we we don't uh, ride him. We just trot him on the treadmill. We we swim him and we race him, and and that seems to be the formula that's worked and turned this horse right around. So. Definitely the swimming has, has really brought him on and, and uh, he's um, he's really appreciated the, the, the regular racing as well and, and the wet tracks.
0: You started him in the uh, highway back on, uh, what, the 26th of Feb. Pikey rode him, sat off him, and he came down the middle of the track. And then, of course, we had the the Challenge Stakes and, what, fourth prize was $22,250. When you threw him in the challenge stakes, were was your mindset, well, I've got this horse, he's fit and ready to go, and you know what, owners, if he runs fourth, we pick up 20000 Was that the Was that the thought process, or did you genuinely think he'd be finishing point two of a length off Eduardo? No,
1: no. No, no, not at all, Dave. How it come about, we were trying to get a race um, under the belt of a horse called Head Start, who were trying to get to the country championships, and um, my manager Andrew Northbridge said, look, if you're going to nominate that horse for, for the challenge, let's uh, nominate um, Shelby 66. So the idea of that was to, to give him a tick over run, a similar run to what you would do on a barrier trial but I did a bit of homework on the challenge state and over the last five years there's been around about um, six to eight runners and I thought well he's a shoe in of picking five 5,000 up if we run him and uh, he, he has a good barrier trial so it wasn't so much that we're going there expecting anything but a a nice hit out for the horse on 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 a lovely track like ramwick and soft conditions so we're basically at that stage aiming to try and get the horse in the country championships and um you know like surprisingly he, he didn't make the field in the country championships his rating wasn't high enough and uh and uh yeah the rest is history running the uh in the race, we were expecting to pick 22,500 up, thinking, gee, this is good good bay." Uh, yeah. And uh, to be shocked, I was speechless after the race. I just couldn't believe what I saw.
0: What did Tim Clark say to you after the race? I think Tim was shocked as well,
1: <laughs> come back
0: to wow. his head.
1: I think it. Uh, there's a photo of Tim looking across at Nashville Rewilla, and I think that says it all. <laughs> I'm not sure what was spoken about. But uh, I, I can, I can, uh, I've got a good uh, imagination.
0: He goes uh, then back home, and so you, you, he's in the pool at uh, at Goulburn there, and we're chatting with Danny Williams this morning on Monday's experts. There's a few text messages come through. Say, who is this chat with? It's with Danny Williams this morning. Uh, Danny, um, the Morris McCartan is the next part of Shelby 66's journey. Uh, Were you nervous going into this? Because obviously he had that good run prior, but, you know, sometimes these horses could just jump out of the ground. It's a different, you know, different track, different scenario. Or were you quietly confident heading in to the Morris McCartan? No,
1: not at all, Dave. I was very optimistic and I was very nervous. And there was a lot more pressure on us going into the Morris McCartan than ever before. Um, The horse stunned myself and experts in the game with his challenge stakes run, albeit in the in the travels that I've experienced in the last ten weeks, everyone that that I've spoken to have said they had something on him at sixty plus to one at in the challenge stakes. That surprised me how much support he had in that race. But no, look, we didn't go in confident. We were hopeful that the horse could repeat, you know, a run two or three lengths below that and be very competitive and perhaps pick prize money up. But the horse. Just went to another level, and 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 he just grew so much confidence out of his highway win in the Challenge Stakes run, and um, it, it was just amazing to see the horse uh, and the the character that he showed to 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 really run those horses down in the in, in Morris McCartan.
0: And then, of course, he wins the Morris McCartan, and then the opportunity arises for the Galaxy. Um, what was going through your mind the week leading up to the Galaxy?
1: Well, Dave, the horse had never done better. Uh, he, he, he laid down for two days after the challenge stage. You he knew he'd gone around. And then in the Morris McCartan, the horse had put so much of an effort into that run that it took the horse five days to recuperate. And uh, he's quite, he, you know, you knew he'd gone around but um, by Thursday leading into it, the horse was jumping out of out, out of his skin and I thought, gee, this horse is going to be right in this race and we would sort of uh, half spoken about running in the in, in the um, the galaxy ten days before, and tentatively booked uh, Robbie uh, Dolan to ride the horse that day, looking for a lightweight rider that Tommy Berry wasn't able to ride the horse at the weight. And and um, we sort of uh, were taking each race a week at a time, so we sort of never went into each race at all confident. We we were hoping, but. Uh, we're just going along with the journey, but it was amazing that how well the horse came out of that race and the expectations going into the Galaxy were, were pretty high, I've been running well.
0: I remember seeing you afterwards, you were speechless, chatting to Greg Radley on Sky Thoroughbred Central. Um, when you had a, a moment to reflect, maybe driving home or, or later that night or the next day, what, what did you think? about winning that Group 1 on with Shelby 66?
1: Oh, I still couldn't believe it, Dave. It's only just starting to sink in now. I, we, we're just blown away. I mean, after the Morris McCartney when we went and had um, Hungry Jacks for dinner, so we we didn't celebrate very hard. We were that worn out. And after the Galaxy, we, we went home. We were daily exhausted emotionally. And on such a high, we, we had a cup of tea and went to bed. <laughs> Most people would be drinking champagne at that time, but... It was great just driving home and just, just really letting it all sink in and and uh, reflecting on the day. It was just something that we just couldn't believe. And we were on such a high and we've been on a, a, such a high ever since.
0: What do you think Alan would say?
1: I'm sure Alan was looking down on us, to, you know, intervention. Every time we went to, the, to Alan's property, it was like the sun come out of the clouds and and we had this warm, tingly feeling. So if, Benny, if you could believe in intervention, I'm sure that Alan would
0: have been very proud of me. I reckon he'd be having a little chuckle. He'd be having a chuckle saying, he's done it again, Danny. He's, um, he's taken this horse to a group one. Now, the, I need to ask about uh, this and whether this gets to you. And we are chatting with Danny Williams this morning on Monday's Experts. Danny, uh, you then obviously take the horse to the TJ and you take him to Caulfield and... He puts in... Well, he doesn't win. Uh, he puts in two runs where he runs seventh on both occasions. And then you get people getting on the social media and it's just the, the world we live in. Oh, this horse needs a break. He needs a spell. Oh, this poor horse. What do you say to those type of people? Because you're there every day. You're with this horse. We know how good of a horseman you are. What do you say to, the, to these people that, you know, want to become overnight trainers online and tell you what to do?
1: Ah, look, first... And- Almost the horse always comes first, Dave, and we'd never ever do anything that we felt that was too much for him. But um, look, the horse went into uh, the TJ Smith with a lot of social media pressure on him and media pressure, and and I know it's probably changed things slightly to um, outside our formula. And uh, the horse went into the race, perhaps uh, a few things starting to build up, and he came out of that race lame. It, you know. It, by by the thursday after the horse was 100% right and ready to go again and we took the horse to melbourne based on on it raining and it looked a, a very nice race for him and when he got there he was he was a little bit slow out of the gates and got a little bit too far out of his ground to be competitive but all in all I I think that uh the horse had done very well he seems like he's come through that uh particularly well I think just as far as uh, people's comments and things like that. Look, we we love this horse. We know the horse backwards. We've done a fantastic job up until now. Um, let us make those decisions about what's good for the horse and what's not. Uh, we've got we're under enough pressure as trainers to to, to make the right decisions. Um, and. You know, people don't know the real history of the horse i think uh that the moment that perhaps you give him a good spell he may not ever come back uh that's that's the that's the the challenge that you have with a horse like him he's had a history of of, of getting him to the races to where we are now and whilst the horse is wanting to do it and, and happy to do it uh, we'll continue him on but you know he'll he'll race either at Uh, Walgra Thursday or Gosford Saturday and uh, if he doesn't go uh, well enough in those two or one of those two races you'll definitely have a break Uh, but if he does happen to perform very well we're hopeful of giving him one more run before a spell uh, which will be in the Doomben 10,000 there's rain predicted in Queensland next week so it sets up well for him but at the end of the day, it's it's about us observing the horse and making the right decisions about him.
0: Well, what do you mean when you when you say that, um, Danny, about if he did have a spell that he might not come back? Is he does he find trouble this horse when he's out in the paddock?
1: Well, Dave, he's been a because of his early issues. It, 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 he's one of those horses that you can't just go out and work hard because I I I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm an unorthodox. Type of trainer, but as I've got older, I've I've become more apparent of what I'm doing with my horses to keep them sound. And uh, he's he's one that every time you try and put work into him, uh, he doesn't come through the work very good. He jars up or he has foot issues. So we've found a formula that works for the horse, and that's not doing much with him and racing him regularly. So why not break that formula? And I think when you've got a horse to his level with his rating, as it is at the moment, I think he's around about 103 or 105 rating. They're much more more difficult to place. It's it's different to when he had a rating of of 62. You could run him in the country and getting fit and and. You, 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 he needed, always needed a few runs to, to get fit because of the way that we work him. So uh, now he's a, a higher rating horse, you're going to have to pick and choose what races you run in. And mm. the circumstances that, of running in those races aren't always perfect. So the normal routine of keeping him racing, keeping him fit no longer exists. So you've got to take opportunities whilst they are available available and if you were to give the horse a spell and he was to come back there is a possibility and I'm hoping that I'm wrong but you know I'm not suggesting that it will be but if you come back and you're in a drought and the horse likes a little bit of cushion in the ground you're not going to find that maybe you may not come back and you may make a decision not to not to go on and you might retire the horse so you know there's it, it, it's all about the horse for me, and, and if we were to come back, they're expecting a wet winter and a wet spring, so I, I'm, I'm sure he will come back, but uh, I'm, I'm a realist, and I'm a horseman first, and mm. I've got to have a long-term plan that this could be a scenario. So, you know, for listeners debating over what I should and shouldn't do. I think it's it's in good hands and be assured that I'm going to do the right thing.
0: Very, very well put and well said, Danny Williams. Um, can you give us a little exclusive? Are you leaning a certain way? Will we see him in Wagga or see him in Gosford? I mean, uh, it's going to be an exciting whichever, whichever way you go. Uh, and two, uh, look, I guess you're blessed in a situation where two races... Where he's well suited, I think, in both races. You can make a case for both scenarios.
1: Well look, well except for both races. At this point of time there there's some showers forecast for Wagner on Wednesday, but we would need those showers for him to run there. Where on the flip side, uh, could have already had rain, you would expect even if they have a few days of dry weather that it's still gonna have some kick in the ground. So um We'll just keep an eye on the weather. I think that uh, we'll decide on Wednesday which race we decide to run in, whether it be Wogger or Gosford, uh, based on on uh, what race looks the best and, and, and what ra- racetrack looks more suitable given the weather that we're uh, predicted. But look, once again, uh, we'll do the right thing by the horse and, and uh, we'll run at the meeting that perhaps produces the best yep. outcome.
0: So you will accept for both both venues? yeah.
1: Yes, Dave. That's our, our plan, yes. And yeah.
0: Haywood's been
1: engaged to ride the horse at both meetings.
0: Very, very exciting stuff. Danny, uh, It's uh, I love the little quote I saw on your website when I was looking at it last night. Uh, Danny Williams has more than 35 years experience in racing, but there's never been a better time to get on board because the best is yet to come. And I love that philosophy in that thought process that uh, even though you've been in the game a long time and you've seen a lot of things and you've now been at the top you've got that group one now uh, the other week there was Shelby 66 the fire is still well and truly being stoked isn't it
1: well it is now Dave it's given us a, a um, you know a boost and 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 um, I've never dreamt that this this moment would ever come to be honest I, I, I've been in game so long that I thought my my opportunities were gone but uh, it's given us a new zest of, 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 of um, life in racing and, and uh, we've never felt better and more keener to succeed and we've got some very nice horses behind us that we're syndicating out and uh, we've got some horses here, young horses that we've educated and, and, and look at syndicating those horses out as well if people are interested in looking up our website and going online we'll we'll perhaps put something up the next few days about what opportunities are available and and uh we feel that uh we've got some very nice horses just not Shelby 66 but horses that will carry the flag on the likes of Bandy's boy and Jamali and 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 the Head Start and a few of the younger yearlings that we've purchased this year and last year
0: Absolutely sensational to chat with you this morning. We were meant to chat for half an hour. We've chatted for nearly 50 minutes, Danny. It's day. <laughs> and, and you know what? We could have chatted a, a lot more. I think it's uh, sensational to hear. I love the, hearing those punting stories with you and Alan. And I just love hearing the way you speak about Shelby and, and your mindset towards training. Danny Williams, thanks so much for being a part of Monday's Experts, mate.
1: Thank you, Dave. Thank you, listeners.